Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. The biggest deadliest, meanest thing in any organization is defect. So it doesn't matter if you're a supplier. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a distributor. If you cannot put the right color of blue on your PO when you give it to a supplier, that qualifies as a defect. Just as if a supplier goes out and pulls the wrong color of blue and prints it on an order and ships it out to your end user and you lose your brain. Both qualify as a defect. People always look and say, hey, only a defect could qualify as a supplier. No, it can't. It can qualify as a distributor. We receive over, you know, north of 50,000 orders a year. Anyone have a guess of what our defect rate on an order is? Coming in, inbound orders. We have a 90% defect rate. So that means that they were missing the right color of blue, zip code, method, contact information, placement. 90% of the orders that come through our organization have to be pre-flighted. Hi friends, I'm Bobby Leehu, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew, and today's episode continues our release of all the talks given at SKUCon in Las Vegas. Brandon McKay is the owner, CEO, and president of Snugs USA based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Brandon delivered a session on how operational excellence fuels profitable growth. Building top-line growth is relatively easy in this industry, but increasing profits so that you can invest and grow for the future is much tougher. Brandon walked through the Six Sigma operational principles that have helped grow Snugs from a six-person company to a $40 million profitable powerhouse. Brandon is Six Sigma Lean certified and is a strong advocate for process improvement and employee development. Today's episode is courtesy of CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. And by the way, you can follow along with Brandon's slide deck at community.commonskew.com. And now from SKUCon in Las Vegas, from Snugs USA, Brandon McKay. How operational excellence fuels profitable growth. So everybody in this industry is high energy, high volume, sell, 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 sell. I've been there. I think it's awesome. Um, but a few years back, I was... Uh, I was approached by someone within our organization that said, hey, at the, the university, they teach this uh, class on, it's called uh, Lean Enterprise. And I'm like, oh, sounds awful. So I start reading the course content to this and I'm like, all right, we'll walk out to the edge of this diving board and we'll jump off this with you. And uh, so in this Lean Enterprise, Lean Enterprise is, uh, any uh, Lean experts in the room? Nobody? Okay, so we'll start throwing out some other. So lean encompasses all of these things. So lean is Greenbelt. Anybody understand what Greenbelt certification is? 5S, Kaizen, Kanban. So all of these principles are incorporated up inside of lean enterprise. And so that's kind of where the light bulb went on for me. It was like, holy crud. If I just put SOPs or I put things in place to help me prevent myself from myself, then keeping money is way easier than making money. And so that's kind of the epiphany that I had. So let me give you a little bit, and you can say, hey, what makes you so smart? So uh, Snugs USA was started in 1989. It was started by my in-laws. 
And uh, like many of your businesses and probably any business in the world, it was started with obviously a concept. It went from an addict to someone's basement to a single stall, like a strip mall, like a warehouse to a big, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it ping-ponged its way. So uh, I started in uh, 1994, so September of 1994. So when I started at Snugs USA, there was uh, six people. So my in-laws, my future wife, myself, and then uh, two other employees. So I kind of bring this up because I go to a lot of classes within this industry and then outside of this industry looking for content. I need content. I need to learn how to be bigger, faster, stronger all the time. Bigger, faster, stronger. So I started as the sixth person out of six people. And uh, last year we ballooned uh, just over, just north of 500 employees. So I've seen a lot of, of growth in my tenureship at Snugs USA. And officially I started on the dock. I was the dock. I was the gopher guy. I was the go for this, go for that, go get lunch, go drop stuff off of the mail which nobody else does anymore, right? Go buy stamps. That, I was that guy. So to give you just a little bit of insight, you know, uh, I was never a hired gun. I, didn't, I grew up in the business like a lot of the people inside the promo industry. So definitely doctor owner. So in um, 19, so to, to finish out the owner part, so in um, March of 2005, uh, me and a couple other people bought Snugs from my in-laws. So my father-in-law had left the business many years before that. And uh, in uh, August of 2004, my mother-in-law, she went home sick on a Friday and died Saturday. So it was like, I could tell you, I could teach you a class on generational planning too and wills, and estate planning, and, and you know, so that was a holy, whole, whole other topic. So uh, in the spring of 2005, we bought the business, and at the time, uh, Snugs USA was about uh, $8 million. So definitely, uh, we, we had some momentum. We weren't on life support anymore. Close to, but not quite every day on life support. And so uh, we had something to work with. So in the original, in the infancy stages, when I bought the business, Snugs USA didn't manufacture anything. We outsourced everything. So we were just a marketing engine, marketing company, uh, took care of all the sales, uh, inbound calls, outbound calls, uh, did all the sales order processing, and then obviously did all the customer interaction, and then we outsourced all of the manufacturing, decoration, drop shipping. So since that, in... Um, uh, early 2006, we started picking off different manufacturers that did business for us. So we started rolling all these up underneath us at that time. And so, yeah, we've been around since 1985 or 1989, but it wasn't until 2006 that we tipped, put our toe in the water on the manufacturing side. So manufacturer to student. So we have all of this stuff in-house and, you know, we're we think we're super great and we're super smart and you know we're chasing good money with that with bad you know just it's evolution the cycle is keep going it's just keep keep going 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 so yeah, it went from manuf- manufacturer to student so in 2008 uh, myself with three other employees which I kind of uh, brought up when I first started this is we started uh, this journey on this lean enterprise and so we enrolled in this it was um, three nights a week 
plus every other Saturday for six months. I was not in the frame of mind to go back to school, you know, and it was really hard. It was really hard. It was like, can you tell me the means of, you know, this? And like, can I have a calculator? Can you refresh the concept? So it was like really like going back to school. It's like I, I haven't remembered how to do the means since, you know, my senior year of high school, you know. So it was a lot of that was uh, baptism by fire. It was getting back into that, that student mode. So all four of us finished our lean enterprise. So to certify in lean enterprise through the University of Utah, for you to certify, you have to come up with a $100,000 cost savings lean project. So you have to quantify it, you have to write the thesis for it, you have to implement it, and you have to prove that you had the cost savings and then they accredit you for it. So we did that then. And then going from student to expert. So since then, you know, um, we only have three lean experts on staff, but subsequently since then, we have um, hired and or trained other green belts. So other green belts are Six Sigma people, people that are really intelligent in regards to process improvement. They may not have the fundamentals of all lean, but they have the fundamentals of being able to identify projects and being able to build parameters on trying to improve that process. So that's kind of the backstory. So sounds hard or sounds like crap. So this is usually the first point that people get into when they say, hey, I want to be an operational guru. I want to just, I want people to go out there and make the money, but I want to keep all the money. And so I think this is very, this is, this is pretty much how it goes down in almost all environments. So every company that used my Six Sigma program increased profits, except for the ones that were in the industry downturns or on flat growth industries or in industries that upturned a little bit. So most people think it's a, it's a very simple conf concept, but I can tell you, or you, I can ask you, what do you think the hardest thing in trying to implement something that's new? Hmm? Mindset. Is everybody in here owner-operators? Not all of you? So of the owner-operators in the room, what is, the hard, what is one of the hardest things of change? People. Employees. Absolutely. What do you think the easiest fundamental thing to do with change would be? Quit. <laughs> Other than quit. If they zip-tied you to the chair and you had to stay, what would, be a, what would be an easy way to implement change? Incentives, yeah. I can tell you right now, firsthand and foremost, the easiest way to implement change is to get leadership buy-in. So if I'm bought in, you run the show, you're bought in, can anybody wiggle out of it? No one can. And the biggest failure of change is leadership lack of buy-in. So if you want to say, hey, we're going to put the mail in this box, or we are going to respond to customers in this amount of time, if leadership is not bought in on that, it will get chucked out like all of the other infomercial things you've bought, right? So the excuse pile. These are some of the top ones that, uh, that I think that uh, I've able to uncover is uh, we've gone through this, uh, this journey of trying to find operational excellence. So I'm the only one who knows the process. So how many people are on the manufacturing side of the business? 
Lots of steps, lots of touches, right? What is one of the hardest things as you follow an order through the manufacturing side? Um, making sure the employee can watch what each step has to be. Do you have turnover? No? You're perfect? <laughs> we all have turnover, right? I mean, yeah. Well, some of us have turnover, <laughs> other than you. But you know, it's a, so you, you, you get siloed with these people that I'm the only one that knows the process. So on the distributor side, you have that office manager. You have that account coordinator. You have that, I'm the only one that knows what's going on. Well, if you run in these silos where I'm the only one that knows the process, you're DOA already. You were never going, I'm not going to say you're going to go out of business. I'm going to say that your opportunities to improve to excellence is going to be greatly diminished because this person here doesn't have the savvy, the courage, or the know-how to put it down in print. So when you're trying to figure out process on the lean side, you, you, you go through this, uh, this um, fundamental exercise called process mapping. Has anyone ever done process mapping? It's pretty phenomenal, right? If you have people that are in similar jobs and you ask them to process map the same job, and what that is is that you go and you write down every fundamental step, whether that's picking up the phone or that is putting it in this box or setting it on this person's table, you write a post-it note down of every step and you go around the room until that process is completed and you will find that you will have 80 post-it notes identifying the process. But if you go back and look at it and you have two people do the same job, they're not even close to mirroring. Not even close. Some may have 80 steps and someone may have 45. And you can immediately see the breakdown of why things happen. And that's always the owners or that's always the person in charge's first question, right? What happened? Well, how the crap can you know what happened if you don't even know the steps? So eliminating that I'm the only one that knows the process and getting them to go to paper and getting them to create an SOP around that is one of the first stages improving your bottom line. That's what we all want to do, right? The first 10 years I was in the business is I just want to grow, 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 you know? Come to find out that was the easier part. The hard part was like, how do I keep this money in the building? It is, we are hemorrhaging out of all kinds of places. So eliminating that one person, it's not me, it's the people. That's another great first comeback when you're saying, hey, we're gonna do a process, we're gonna do a Kaizen project on XYZ department. Well, it's not me, it's them. And we all know these people. They all exist in every building. I don't care if it's me and my wife working in the business, because it's not me, it's her, right? <laughs> we all have these people in our organization, and you need to be keenly aware of that it, it, it's not me, it's, you know, it's the people type of people in your organization, because they will definitely curb your abilities to swiftly work through some of these processes. I can't identify the constraints. So does everyone understand what, the, what a constraint is? Has anybody read uh, the theory of constraints or anything like that? What is, the, what, is the, what is the theory of constraint? We all have it. It doesn't matter if you're a supplier or distributor. What's the theory of constraint? Nobody? 
The theory of constraint is that you're only as fast as your weakest bottleneck. So it doesn't matter how operationally excellent you think you are and how you think that you're going to win all of these awards. If you can't identify the constraint and objectively willing to go out and talk to this person or talk to a team in charge of this, then again, this is one of those three deadly excuse piles that you will end up getting nowhere. So you have to become savvy enough to start to look at and find constraint. And if you can't find those, then you need to find someone that can help you find those. Because you will come into these areas and you'll find that these just these really simple things control your output dramatically. And this is always my thing. So you can't deposit excuses. So who likes to make deposits, right? Who likes deposits in their business? Yeah? Well, you can't deposit excuses. So unless you're willing to, to look at these three things, it's going to be very challenging for you to be able to operate in a way that's going to make you more revenue, right? So the seven wastes of lean. So how do I improve profits quickly? So of all of the lean, you know, I'm going to encompass just one principle of lean. So six months of learning, I'm just going to talk to you about one thing. And so there's seven ways. So has anyone heard the seven deadly sins or the seven deadly wastes? So one is, first and foremost, the biggest, deadliest, meanest thing in any organization is defect. So it doesn't matter if you're a supplier. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a distributor. If you cannot put the right color of blue on your PO when you give it to a supplier, that qualifies as a defect. Just as if a supplier goes out and pulls the wrong color of blue and prints it on an order and ships it out to your end user and you lose your brain. Both qualify as a defect. So people always look and say, hey, only a defect could qualify as a supplier. No, it can't. It can qualify as a distributor. I'll give you another piece of information, defect. So we, we receive over you know, north of 50,000 orders a year. Anyone have a guess of what our defect rate on an order is? Coming in, inbound orders. We have a 90% defect rate. Nine zero defect rate. So that means that they were missing the right color of blue, zip code, method, contact information, placement. So 90% of the orders that come through our organization have to be pre-flighted. It's wild, right? So when you say, hey, that dumb supplier, you know, they're like, there's so much. Do you know how many orders in the industry match each other? So we're talking ERP or whatever, whatever program you're, how many match? Zero. There's no matching. There's no matching data points. There's no matching data fields. There's no way that you can quickly pre-flight a lot of this business. Uh, uh, is there any kind of way that suppliers can incentivize distributors to increase the, or decrease the defects? Or is, there, is that anything that's been... It has been beat like a dead horse. 
there has been zero abilities to incentivize. Now there has been other organizations and other pop-ups that have tried to centralize data points. So like promo standards and those things like EPSA and things like that have been going through the industry for years and years. In, there is, other than free, you know, there is no way that you can, the problem is, is it's not the 90%. You know, if we have 50,000 plus orders, that means that we're dealing with 3,000 different customers. How can you incentivize that many people to even move the needle? It's just such an just enormous problem. So just food for thought, you know, defects is for everybody. Waiting time. So it takes us on average of two calls to get a response. So we get an order in and said, hey, I want a blue lanyard. Great, you want a blue lanyard? Well, we've got three shades of blue, you know. Royal, Navy, electric, you know. So, but it takes us, we have to reach out twice. So the waiting time. So as the world gets flatter, speed increases, delivery times goes down. This is, for us as an organization, this is our biggest area of problem and concern is the waiting time. This constant just twiddling your thumbs like, holy crap. So our schedule runs like, as soon as it's approved, no one manually goes in and says, all right, this is approved. You guys can start working on this job. As soon as the customer approves it, it automatically populates and it moves it up the list. So manufacturing never cherry picks what they want to do. They work on whatever one comes up next. So the waiting time for us is very, very hard. The other issue that it poses for not just your organization, if a distributor, but for a supplier, it's, it makes it incredibly challenging to level load. To say, hey, I, know, I need this many people, this many days a week, this many months a year. Because you never know when someone is going to you know, some smarty pants like Maddie over here is going to release that 20,000 piece order. But your, ca your capacity is 80,000 pieces for tomorrow, and you already had 80,000 pieces, but he just approved it. Now tomorrow's 100. You know what I mean? So that, that waiting time is just insane. Extra motion. So I encourage you, whether you're a supplier or you're a distributor, set up a GoPro on your office, a GoPro. And then go back the next day and just watch the footage in high speed. Not to say, hey, I'm big brothering anyone. I'm looking for waste. I'm looking for extra motion. Why is that employee out on the shop floor walking around in a circle for 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> Why is so-and-so talking to them like 14 times today? Was it an issue with the customer? Was it, you know, were they working on something? You know, but extra motion will erode efficiency and profitability like you cannot believe. Excess inventory, so probably more suited for the, uh, the supplier than the distributor, but excess inventory is a killer. So excess inventory for us is, uh, is a rapid, just evaporates cash flow. We have product that's sitting on the shelf that is not moving. So we all wanna, we all wanna operate in this manner where you have these production efficiencies where it comes into the dock, it's pulled off of whatever, a container, or you, know, you manufacture it, and instead of it going to inventory, it's going right to the finished state, getting decorated, and right back out the door. That's a perfect world, where like Toyota, for instance, Toyota will, let's say, a seat for a car. It's coming off of the manufacturer's trailer on their dock, picked up robotically, put in a car, and out the door. They never inventory anything. 
So overproduction. So nothing makes my blood boil more than this one. It's like, it said 500. Clearly says 500. Why do we have 600 here? I've been very unsuccessful of talking a distributor into an extra 100 pieces, right? It's like, if it's set 500, shut it off at 500, you know? So overproduction. Extra processing. So this goes back to the concept of saying, hey, we have two people doing the same job, but they do it completely independently of another. One person adds 30 steps to a job that only needs 35 steps. What the freak, you know? And that's when you find out that you say you have these, uh, you have these uh, order processors or you have these um, QC clerks or you have shippers that are working for you and they're adding these, these laborious steps to stuff that does not have to happen. So the extra processing is something that I would definitely tell you to, to look into and try to identify. And then when I talked about the GoPro thing, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see lots of extra processing. Unnecessary transportation. So kind of the, the backstory to this is like a guy that picks up a box over here and puts it over here. Picks it up over here and puts it over here. And let's say he's working in shipping in QC and he's just doing this all day. And you're like, you're looking at his feet. You're watching this on GoPro. And you're like, what the hell is he doing all day? Just ship from there, right? Stop walking around in a circle. Put the terminal right there and ship from there. So the unnecessary transportation is something that, again, is uh, one of those uh, seven. What do you think the, uh, the seven wastes are plus the one? What do you think the plus the one might be? Huh? No takers? Yeah, the unutilized talent. So this is something that, uh, you know, this is a, a secret of snugs that I think that I will share with you that I would share with anybody is that we've been really lucky, blessed, successful in moving along talent. So someone that started in shipping, now is a shipping manager, now is a floor manager, you know, kind of ping-ponging their way up the system and up to the process. But I think we have been really, really successful on utilizing talent. Someone that just shows that they have it. Like um, when I did the panel earlier, like Cola. You can just tell people when they have it. And I have, like, she's asking these critical questions about herself. And I'm like, you don't have a problem. You're going to make it. You know, some people inside your organization, they have that it factor, or they call it moxie, or they have, you know, whatever you want to classify it as, is really look through your organization and see who might be that unutilized talent. So myself, our CIO, and our COO are all organically grown. We, we were trying to fix a solution and we did a unanimous survey with our employees a couple months before that where we asked for some different feedback and one of the most glaring things that popped up was that people felt like we as management or owners were making decisions and then passing it down to the team and they didn't really think that was the best way to solve the problem. 
And so we tried to fix that, and we brought in the whole team and said, here's the problem we have. What can you guys propose? How can we find a way to do it? And our part-time delivery driver actually piped up and, and offered the suggestion, and he went out and closed a $30,000 sale, and now it's sales, mm -hmm. because he excelled at that. One of our bookkeepers found a solution for how we process our orders, and so now she's moved more over into the, the fulfillment management. Yeah. And it was a really easy way for us to kind of flush out these hidden talents that they were maybe too shy to mention. Yeah, so in technical terms, they call that going to Gimba. So Gimba is the place or the problem of where it's originating from. So as leadership, oftentimes you'll find yourself saying, hey, can you get this taken care of? And that's it. It's over with, you know. But I can tell you, if you want your organizational excellence to move up the order to where your profits improve, get up out of your desk and go to Gimba and go to the source of the issue and the problem. And exactly that's what will happen. The smartest person in the building for the problem is who? The person doing the pro you know, right there, the person doing the job. They have all of the data points there. They know everything top of mind. You just have to help them walk them through a little bit and saying, hey, what if, what if, what if, boom, there's the answer. Implement it, change the SOP, we're off and running, next issue, you know? One of the other things we found is that sometimes we would see someone that was a superstar at one thing, and we're like, they would be a great manager of this team. Let's promote them into that dimension. It was the worst thing we could have done because their personality did not like managing that team. They liked being part of a team and helping it be more efficient. And so it's really hard to, you know, actually put people in these places, and it's easier to let them. So Disney has a great word for that, which I think is awesome, because technically it's, a, it's a, an executive or an upper tier F up, right? We put the wrong person in the wrong job. So Disney, they say, hey, we miscast you. <laughs> we need to move you over here. I know you wanted to work on the Dumbo ride, but you might not be the best person because you don't like kids. So we're going to move you over <laughs> to this adult ride that doesn't allow any kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and sometimes it's hard to, to figure that out. So, yeah, you made a great point there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So all those points are like unbelievable, especially from a management standpoint. But actually reviewing all those points, especially throwing a GoPro on top of it, like reviewing like that footage and all that, just me personally, because I'm not the most efficient guy in the world, that would take me like, like maybe 190 hours. Did you know what I mean to do all that? So how do you prioritize? So the great thing about um, anything, whether it's you're trying to improve your operational efficiency, you're trying to improve your P&L, you're trying to improve your balance sheet, you can't do it all, right? So you have to pick things that you think that you can move because without wins, you will go nowhere. So you have to have some low-hanging fruit things in there. So when you work with someone on this stuff, you got to give them a couple low-hanging fruit things, some immediate wins. And then you're going to have to give them two or three things that are, might be hard, and then you're going to have to table the rest. And that's version 2.0. So once you get two wins, work on three things, we'll close that out, and then we'll bring forward some other things. But yeah, you made a great point. So we've been doing this for years and years and years and years. And still, I don't believe that we are operating at 100% efficiency. No, because it's this circle of evolution. You might be working on a sales issue. 
then the next day you're working on an order entry, or not even the next day, the next quarter on an order processing thing, and then you're working on a shipping issue, and then you're working on a, an art delay issue. You know, it's this ever-evolving cycle, and you never get to the mall. So you just got to pick things that you can think. You could say, hey, you know what? I think I can deal with reducing defects, and I'm going to work on unnecessary transportation. That's all I can do. I'm going to work on those for the rest of 2018. And that's okay. It's like having a, uh, a vision or a, you know, some type of marketing plan or you can't do it all. I get told, no, I want to spend money on anything that's possible to do with marketing because you know, I love it and I think it's fun and especially on the social and the creative side, the stuff that I really like now is really, really expensive. You know, it's like the video and the content and the, you know, and so they, they, it's like anything. No, you get this slice of the pie, use it the best you can. So again, I would say do that. I would figure out the slice of the pie that you think that you can work on. Give yourself lots of time, you know, lots and lots of time, and then make sure that you can check the box at the end of that time. Don't try to do it all at once. So mindset equals cash, right? So simple thoughts and question. Is a business failure a weakness? No. So I can tell you, I can expose to you, since we're all amongst friends right now, is I don't have any, any uh, college experience. I didn't go to college. So, but I feel like that a lot of the, the failures that I've had have equal to the diploma that I could have received. So I don't believe that failure is a weakness. I think failure is failure if you keep doing it over and over, right? But I think for me, and I think our organization looks at it and say, all right, that really sucked, man. We freaking screwed up 50,000 lip balms. <laughs> it's the wrong color. <laughs> so how do you make that failure a strength? And it says, all right, let's go, let's go to Gimba. Let's figure out who, what, how this possibly could have happened, right? And I think it's that positivity of improving on error that makes people have more buy-in. Say, hey, I'm not attacking you. You know what? Shit happens, you know? Let's figure out not to keep sticking our head in the same crap hole, you know? Have I ever attached myself to an order A to Z? So this was a real epiphany for me, is to sit with every person and go through every single process from A to Z. So for us, that meant from the time they to look at the RFP that went out the door to the shipping label on the box on the truck. And you will find more ability to create revenue for yourself if you do your, this a few times then you will be able to go out there and say, hey, you know, let's just, make, let's just sell $100,000 more of the product. You know, that's way easier. No, it's not. If you will be willing to, uh, to attach yourself from, to an order for, to A to Z, I think you'll have many, many epiphanies. Does my team ever want to do a good job? So this is kind of the, the, the poor me scenario. It's like, why are they sabotaging me? <laughs> Don't they see how much I have risked? I'm like, all my chips are on the table, you know? I can't even get education for my kids because I'm so into this. Could you please? No, I really, I don't believe that they want to do a bad job. 
I really believe in the, in the goodness of people, and I believe in the goodness of employees. So I already answered this. Is the discipline a top-down approach? If it wasn't, would the Patriots be crushing people for a decade? No, discipline is discipline. It works in the military. It works in sports. It works in business. And there's a reason that they say that. The problem with discipline is what? For us, amongst friends, remember we're amongst friends, typically we're pretty undisciplined people, right? Yeah, we want to sell, right? We want to make people happy. So just that. And does this mean I have to let people go? Do you have to let people go? I don't believe so. I believe that you can endure the, the cycle of attrition. Because we, except for him, <laughs> who has nobody ever quit. He might have to, but you, uh, you just live with the cycle of uh, attrition and uh, you get people cast into the right roles. So again, remember that you can, uh, you just have people miscasted. I, I take the blame. I have you in the wrong position. I think we need to move you over to the right position and be willing to own that. The more you're willing to own, the more operational change that you will be able to endure. So no, he said, she said, he did, she did. It's like, hey, I'm in charge. And if there's failure on my watch, then you have to own it. And if you own it, then you can get people classed into the right position or you can get the right processes in place and they will follow. Hook, line, and sinker. They will follow. So what is the ultimate win? What's the ultimate win other than being able to sleep at night? Customer satisfaction. Yeah. To the money. You couldn't help yourself, could you? <laughs> Absolutely. The ultimate win is money, right? It makes no sense for us to go out there and spend 15, 20, 25, 35, 40 weeks on the road for no upside. It's, we're doing this because we want to provide for the people that work for us. We want them to have one step better than they had it, right? We want to, our children to be able to go to the best colleges that we can afford. We want to provide the community around us with opportunities because we can donate to their causes. We cannot do this without profit. And I can assure you, if you're willing to look at a few of these areas, not all of them, but a few of these areas and say, hey, you know, I commit myself as a leader to work on some of these things, the profits start to come in or not come in, the profits start to save. And we want to save those profits internally. And I can assure you, because I've been through this cycle and we get better every year and year, is that, um, so we've been able to you know, just, you know, full disclosure was uh, we've been able to grow about 18% over the last rolling 24 with really zero headcount addition. So those are numbers that Jamie loves, you know. So it's because everybody is drinking the Kool-Aid now. It's not, it's, it's a gain to improve rather a game to get someone in trouble. And so with that said, time, money, 
and success are finite. So I thought this was a, I'm not a, a highly hyper-focused political person, but I think this quote here is, uh, is kind of a interesting. So our resources may be finite, but our will is infinite. And I am confident that if we come together and summon the great American spirit, once again, we will meet the challenge of our time and we will write the next chapter or the next great chapter of our American history. And I really believe that. These things are really finite. Our time is so finite. He wants to spend more time with their family, their kids, their wife, their dog, you know, themselves being able to experience nature or whatever, whatever fuels your fire. You cannot do this unless you realize that your time is finite. And that you have the abilities and you have the control and you have the free agency to be able to make these choices for yourself and your time. And if you run a big organization or you run a small organization, the sooner that you realize that your time is not free and that it is a precious, precious resource, then I think you'll start to make these steps in trying to figure out ways to give yourself back a little bit. So with that said, we have a couple minutes, right? Can you give an example of a practical example of how you help introduce the lean into your plan? Like money So we specifically focused and started in order processing. One department, one area, one task. So order processing meant for us is once the RFP is out there, it's been accepted, the order is in hand. That constitute is order processing now. So it's left cells. It's now in the order entry team's hand, and we started there. So order entry for us, or order processing means finished PO in hand until that all the questions have been answered, and it's now a work order for production. So we just focused in that one area of improvement first. So there's a follow-up question. Where do you find your biggest our biggest improvement is so for us being a manufacturer of the wastes, uh, the seven deadly wastes. Obviously, most of those were on the floor, the shop floor. Higher rate of turnover. Um, you have four four hundred people down there that all know different aspects of different jobs. No centralized SOP in place. Lots of excess waste. Lots of defect. Um, you mask it with excess inventory. You know, you, so, you know, you, but we focused in that first area of just order entry. Because I think that was, I don't know how we came up with that. I don't know if we stuck our finger in the wind. But um, maybe we had more data on it at the time. Because we had inbound orders and stuff like that. But that's where we focused. That was our first crack, swing of the bat. Uh, what, when, what's your take on Pomo standing? It's awesome. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And you're hopeful that it's going to... I'm hopeful that more adopt. So uh, promo standards, um, Pierre had a question on what's my thought of promo standards, and I think it's awesome. I think any time you can get more people to do the same thing, it's great, right? So um, I don't know. Uh, I'm, it's not a plug for that at all, but, you know, I, I definitely am... Uh, <laughs> So uh, what promo standards is, is uh, just a, a centralized way of doing things. So that applies to distributors as well? Yeah, so what it is, it just applies to distributors saying, I'm going to put this data point in this spot at this time, 
and I'm going to electronically transmit this order to you, and we'll, you know, we'll take it out, and it's going to automatically populate the areas in our system. So it's a, it's a mirroring, it's a mirroring platform. Oh, does, it like, does it kick out things that don't have the right You can't use it unless you are both in agreement that data point A in your system meets at data point A in ours. It's a mirror, yeah. Whatever you say you're going to do, or however you're going to deliver it, under the programmable standards platform, it's going to be uninflated on our end, and it's going to automatically populate. So, uh, one of the things we, we struggle with as a uh, distributor is the overproduction. So, how do you combat that as a distributor when a supplier says, you know, we can bill you for five percent overage and sometimes even prepaying? 5% overage as if that bill's going to happen anyway. My advice to you um, would p pick different suppliers. So I don't know why you can't stop. You know, I mean, I, and I understand that people always say, hey, you know, when I'm in the paper business during the calendars and things like that, you know, to, when I push stop, it may punch out another 250 calendars. Why should I eat it? You know, well, I would say you're probably due to improve your processes to, to try to figure out a way to incorporate your buying better on paper or some way to amortize that cost into all of your goods so that you can bill for exact quantity. So, but I would say that I would definitely say something along the lines of that. So there's lots of good suppliers in this industry. There's lots of forward-thinking suppliers in this industry. There's a lot of suppliers in the industry that take this very serious. You know, not just this, but you know, they're doing above and beyond things. They're, uh, they're practicing promo standards. They're practicing the, uh, and adopting and becoming accredited with QCA. I mean, they are really trying to protect your future. And so I would definitely look at those people that are, that are putting their money where their mouth is and really not just trying to protect themselves, but protect you. So that you can come to them and say, hey, you know what, I need this, uh, I need this uh, data sheet or this uh, lab testing document. Can you provide it for me? Absolutely. No problem. So with nothing else to say, hope you learned something. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.